Hello, my name is Joel Simpson, and welcome to the Connect Podcast with Indianola First Assembly. And I'm John Tonsi, and our goal is to build community and relationships through sharing life experiences and God stories to inspire and connect with each other on a deeper level. All right, today we get to interview Brad Money. Super excited to get his story. We got to hear his wife's story early on in the podcast, and so now we get to hear Brad's side of the story. Yeah, it's exactly the same, oddly enough. Is it? Yeah. Is it? You no. want us to just play hers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brad, where did you grow up? I grew up, was born in Des Moines. Uh, we lived in Indianola until second grade, and then we moved to Milo, and I grew up in Milo. I've, I've lived in Warren County my whole life. For like a two or three month period, I lived in Oklahoma. Still have family there. Grandpa lived there. But Milo, yeah, Warren County, I lived in Carlisle. I've lived in Norwalk. And then when I met Tiffany, her mom lived out by just north of Bevington. And my mom still lived in Milo and dad. So it was like a perfect halfway point between both of our parents. And we decided to build our family here. So what's a favorite childhood memory? Oh, goodness. Uh, I was always, as a kid, I remember I got a basketball hoop. I think I must have been probably eight or nine. And my birthday's in March. Well, it took until like July until dad put that thing up (laughs) on the garage. But once he put that up, I mean, I was, I remember my brother and I are seven years apart. We'd be outside in the wintertime with like two sweatshirts instead of a coat and like the big snow gloves. We couldn't dribble the ball, but we could still shoot it with those snow gloves on. Um, we'd, We'd shovel the driveway and yeah. So just playing basketball in the driveway was always something, but grandparents, I was the first grandkid on both sides. So you can say I was probably spoiled. My mom's parents are the ones that lived in Oklahoma, grandpa and grandma. And then uh, grandma Donna lived in Milo and her and I were very, very close. I think I, she babysat me until I was 15. I kept losing my house key when they tried to let me stay home. So I'd have to go to grandma. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't that you needed babysat until you were 15. You just kept losing your key. I just like spending time with grandma. Okay. Yeah. Something special about hanging out with grandma. Yeah, man. Everything, she loved, ch- like we'd watch the, one of the reasons when I was a kid, I wanted to be a game show host. Grandma, I'd always watch game shows. There was, and I love Chuck Woolery, you know, whether it was the dating game or lingo or, or some of those things, but we'd watch, and then channel 11, anything she watched on channel 11, I'm like, man, this is awesome. And then I'd go home and flip it on like, Tiffany, come watch this. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's only good with grandma, you know? <laughs> grandma made it fun. You wanted to be a game show host. Yeah, man. I could see it. Yeah. I think you'd be a great game show host. An astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. Then I had to get glasses, so that kind of shot that. Yeah. And then I wanted to be a game show host. I feel like I could see you on Family Feud. Yeah. Yeah, that would, uh, that would be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> or, oddly enough, I wanted to be the ringmaster. The circus, Barnum and Bailey's. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm just picturing. You could have taken over for Bob Barker. Oh, yeah. You know, get that long, skinny mic Anybody could have on... taken over for Bob Barker <laughs> besides the guy that did. I mean, <laughs> oh, I don't want to be negative, but that yeah, should have been Chuck Woolery. You know, he, had a, he didn't even have game show experience. Yeah. And Chuck Woolery had all on, that experience. Whose, whose line is it anyway, right? He was on that, wasn't he? Or Drew Carey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that's not really a game show. It's not a game show. No. no. All the other people were funny. He just sat at the desk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where did you go to high school? I, w- I was a Warhawk at Southeast Warren. Uh, my, the Southeast Warren School District consists of three little towns, Milo, Lacona, and Liberty Center. Liberty Center is the smallest, so it made sense that that's where the high school would be. 
Yep. Yeah. 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 Perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. No fire department. No store. No anything but a post office. But, you know, get the kids out away yeah. from everybody else. But right. they do have that roadside park right there, right? They do. That's a, that's a lovely park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the roadside park. But yeah, I, I went to Southeast Warren. It's funny that we always like we always joke, my friends and I, about our Southeast Warren education. But I know so much stuff that I probably like. If we were to play Trivial Pursuit, you're like, well, how does he know that? Or we watch Jeopardy and I start answering questions. It's just, and I, I one of the things that drives me nuts about kids today is I don't like when I'm helping the kids with their homework. They don't learn anymore. They're just trying, I just need to know this long enough to take this test Mm -hmm. and then I can forget it. Yeah. But that drives me like, no, you got to learn things, you know, like retain that information. So yeah, I liked, I liked Southeast War. Did you go to college? I, I, I'm the check that box that says some college. Some college. (laughs) You got that that one. Yeah. I went to Simpson for a year right out of high school. Um, I enjoyed it. I wanted to be at that point a history teacher. And my best friend, he was going to Iowa to get his history degree. And I was going to go to Iowa as well. Had my housing and everything set up. I couldn't leave my little brother, oddly enough. And I would have been 18. And so he would have been like 11. And I just, something said, can't leave him, you know? So I went to Simpson. And then after that year at Simpson, I went to DMAC for who knows how long. They paid me to go to DMAC with financial aid and stuff. But it was like a year and a half. And then I got my first real job. Uh, Southridge Mall, the real Southridge Mall, not what yeah, it is now. Yeah, not the strip mall that they yeah, have yeah. now. Yeah, that was my jam, man. I was, my first full-time job, my first job ever, I worked at Finish Line. Um, I can s- see that. Selling oh, shoes. Yeah, Yeah, nice. that's where my, yeah. And then. And you sold me a pair of shoes there. I probably did. <laughs> uh, and then I went to, I had a, a job at, my first full-time job, I was an assistant manager at Athletic Fitters, which became Foot Locker. And then I got a job at Yonkers full-time. And then I went to The Gap when it opened up. And I was like a stock supervisor there for a year. All those jobs were while I was going to school at DMAC. And then one of the, the girls from where I went to high school, she was older than me. She worked for the phone company. And I had applied there because someone said, hey, you got to go work at Quest. You know, it's a great, great place to work. And she helped me get the job there. And that was like the start of my actual sales type of career, you know. So I went to Quest to try to apply for a, a job. Yeah. And they were like, you got to go online to apply for it. They wouldn't give me a like paper application. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going online. Like, that's ridiculous. But right. I never applied there. I remember, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I had to, you had to go in and apply on a computer at the building there on High Street is, is how I did it. And then they would decide if you got an interview or not after they reviewed it, but. It was one of those, even the place where I work now, it was one of those things where it's not, it's who I knew versus anything that I did, you know? Yeah. That's why, I am, yeah. So do you have a shoe collection? You big into shoes? I am. Uh, I call it my midlife crisis, so. You just had it since you were like 15. Yeah, you just did it. Well, <laughs> yeah, you had my li- <laughs> midlife so, crisis at yeah. 16. <laughs> Here's the story. We'll, we'll go back. Um, when I was a kid, like I always... I always tell the kids that I, that work with me that I, I come from dirt, right? And one of the, and when I say that, it, it's not out of disrespect. Um, one of the things I grew up with an abundance of besides food was love. And our house was full of love. I thought I had every He-Man guy in the world, but I probably realistically only had four, you know, but I didn't know. And I thought I wore, I thought everybody just, I just wanted to wear sweatpants. I didn't know I wore sweatpants because mom wouldn't buy me jeans because they were more expensive, you know? I thought... Everybody just got to, you know, I didn't know. 
But when I was a little kid, we didn't have much. Dad worked off and on and, and mom is, you know, she sacrificed. They got pregnant with me. She was 17, 18 and they weren't married yet. I didn't realize this to like, goodness, it was their 40th wedding anniversary and Tiffany did the math and she's like, oh, did you know your parents got pregnant with you before they were married? I'm like, no, they did not. <laughs> what? You, what? And then I did the math and I was like, mom, you know? <laughs> so, you know, mom just retired from Walmart and you, you think of looking back and I'm like, you know, nobody says, hey, I work at Walmart my whole life, but she did. And she sacrificed to support me and provide for me and, and all those things. So I was five, we're on our way to grandma's and we top a hill and there's cars in both lanes coming at us. And dad hits the shoulder, and I think the guy went the same way, or loose gravel kicked us back on. He hit his head on. That was, you know, probably, and you talk about God having his hand in things. At that point, we didn't have anything. We, didn't, I, we probably lived in, in an apartment or wherever that was not nice by any means, and, but it was full of love. So it wasn't their fault that we got hit, and they sued the insurance company or whatever, the, the guy that was driving, and we won, and we got a bunch of money. So... That allowed my parents to buy the house in Milo, which we wouldn't have had otherwise, which allowed us to have stability in our family and really start to change our family tree. That's something that my brother and I talk about a lot is changing our family tree. And when we say changing, it's not that we don't appreciate the roots or where the tree came from, but we want to grow it and, and change it, not just financially, but spiritually and just quality of life, you know, because there's a lot of things in our family tree like depression, like, um, bad habits and addictions and those kind of things that we want to just, we don't want them in our branches, right? So we bought the house in Milo. <clears throat> Mom took a portion of that money for me, put it in a, some kind of bond. If she, she would have known what she was doing, we would have been millionaires. But So that was 1983. When I turned 18 in 1996, that little bit of money that she put away for me had multiplied to become almost $100,000. So you take an 18-year-old kid and give him $100,000 that's never really had a lot of money in his life. So you're telling me you have $100,000 worth of shoes? No, 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 oh, no, no. That's where no. I thought this was going too. No. I bought all the shoes in the whole store. No, I, I lived a very nice life for two and a half years before I came tumbling back to earth and, and being humbled. But the one thing I, I look back and I paid off all mom's debt, right? Because they had bought me a car and I crashed it like four months into it. So I got a new car. I paid off mom's debt. My brother and I had lots of sneakers and different things for the next two and a half years that we didn't have before. But then I started to try to live that way even when the money was gone. Mm -hmm. So you start racking up debt and, and different things. And so you can't live that way. Well, as I got older and I had my son age 40, I'm like, well, it's not his fault. He came when I'm 40. I still want to be, I want to wear the same things as him and, and be cool like him and have that relationship. So that's when we were in a different position and I could start going back and getting all those sneakers that I had at that time, right? When I was 18, I had all these shoes. They started coming back and they remake them. So I'm like, well, I got to have those again. And that was kind of how I started collecting sneakers again. But I wear them all, man. I crease them. I use them. I wear them. I've got way too many. So if you wear a size 11, come see me. I can probably send something home with you, you know? Uh, 11 wide? Do you got them in wide? No. Oh, come no. On. What do you, New Dude, Balance? that's my problem, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to have the 4E wide. I might need to cut the yeah. toes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not like, what is it? There's one one kind of shoe and, and kids don't want to crease them and so they, they walk bunny so they don't crease them. 
Uh, my daughter tried doing that. I'm like, no, you got to walk normal. You crease that shoe up, man. <laughs> like, that's that's what it's for. Yeah, and some of them, they look better the more you wear them. Like, in the older they get, you know, it's got that vintage kind of look. So There you go. Yep. I just answered. I mean, that was a long-winded, long story long right there, huh? Yeah, that was fun. I yeah, like I'm that. good at that. I think we're out of questions now. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you live now? We live here in town. Uh, we started our family in a... Well, our first home we purchased was a little house that backed up to Fairway, a little brick ranch in the McCord residential area over there. We just wanted a house. We had no idea really what we were doing besides that. You know, can we afford this? Yeah, whatever. Well, my wife, I mean, she's brilliant, right? So she starts looking at new houses. I'm like, no, we don't. We can't afford stuff like this. What are you doing? Well, our bills will stay the same, she says. I'm like, no, they would not. Are you crazy? And we had built up so much equity that equity, because we'd switched to a 15-year mortgage and different things, that as our family grew, we were able to buy the house we have now, and all our bills stayed the same, and we eliminated all our debt because of the equity. So now we live over on the, the northeast side of town, um, back on a cul-de-sac in a corner lot. So just kind of, I, I call it the jungle, because there's only one way in and one way out. It's a dead <laughs> end. So. so how did you meet your wife? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. What did she say? I don't no, remember. I'm no, <laughs> uh, we met singing karaoke. Um, she'll she'll get mad at me for saying this, but I you know I only tell the truth. So first time <laughs> first time I saw her, I'll never forget it. Me and my best friend were making fun of her because I was a little jerk, and she said we were at this establishment that you would go to um, sing karaoke or participate in other things. That I I did hear this was a BC. What? Yes, before Christ? Yeah. Before Christ, yeah. yeah, this is with a bar. I can say that? <laughs> yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. This is before Christ, yeah. Yeah. We're at a bar, and I was a karaoke DJ, and I was just in there hanging out, and she's in there with her friends, and they're all dressed up like you get, and she had on like a velour pants, and I'm like, man, look at this girl. She really put some effort in tonight. Ha, 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 ha. So next time I see her, I'm, you know, DJing and talking. Imagine that. I'm coming around a corner and I bump into her on accident. She turns and goes, oh, hey, you want to play pool? And I was like, uh, yeah, actually I do want to play pool. Thank you for asking. But the funny thing is I had just asked one of her friends out and she had said yes. And I was like, what? Like it works, you know, like just having that confidence and, be, you know, well, then I turn around and bump into Tiffany and she wants to play pool. Well, needless to say, her and that girl aren't friends anymore. And <laughs> Tiffany... Tiffany couldn't figure out why they weren't friends anymore for the longest time until I finally told her um, that I had asked her out and then I bumped into her. So, yeah, we met singing karaoke uh, at a, a bar. What, yeah. what song? I got, what oh, song? man, I'm Ice Ice Baby. Um, Every Rose Has a Thorn, you know. Every Tiffany Has Its Brad. Yeah, classic <laughs> stuff. Like, <laughs> not the, you know, stuff that makes people, it was a party. Like, we want to sing things that lift, you know, are, are fun and let everybody have a good time. So then you guys met, you bumped in, you're playing pool. Mm -hmm. How did that lead to you guys eventually getting married? Well, I, she says I made up a story about sending my mom flowers on Valentine's Day because this was like a week before Valentine's Day. And I'm like, well, are you going to be here? Valentine's Day was on like a Saturday. She's like, yeah, I'll be here. Okay, great. I'll see you. I'll see you then. And I didn't show up. So I come back the next week and she's there. And she's like, where were you? You were supposed to be here. And why well, actually, I'm like, well, I got her number that time. And we started texting the next day. I was all nervous. Like, oh, man, what do I say? 
you know, and I can't imagine you not knowing what to say. So <laughs> <laughs> I sent her a text and I just remember waiting anxiously. Oh, geez. And it seemed like it took forever, but she responded. Well, that night we met and we went, we were going to walk her dog, but it was rainy. So we went to Godfather's and we got pizza and a movie to watch. And then we went back to her place and watched it. And then, I mean, we talked on the phone and we're together. A week later, she's coming back from New Orleans to see her mom. And she asked me to come pick her up at the airport in Kansas City. I'm like, yeah, man, I'll do that. And I'm on my way down. I'm like, what am I doing? I've known this girl a week, you know? So a, a month goes by and she's like, she calls me. And she's like, hey, she wanted to break up with me. And I'm thinking, what are you, what? No, I already drove to Kansas City yeah. to pick you up. Like, you're in the long haul. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm like, I understand. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm too scared of how I feel about you. And No, thank you. Right. I'll be over in 10 minutes. And she's talking to her friend. Her friend's like, well, how did it go? She's like, it didn't. He, <laughs> he told me we couldn't break up. You know, I'm thinking, well, if anybody's breaking up, I'm breaking up with you. Right. I don't just spend every day for a month with a girl. Like I'd never done that before. So then we, you know, BC before Christ, we lived together. We had an apartment in Norwalk. She's like, hey, if we're going to get married, we're going to be together. You got to start going to church. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, you go find one, you know, and then I'll come. Well, she did. She found one. And I'm like, well, I don't like this one. But she found another one. And then I was like, all right, let's go. So we uh, started going to Christian Life Assembly just there on the south side off the bypass. The pastor's name was Glenn Reynolds. Great guy. I didn't really connect with him, but I went because I, I loved her. And she said I had to do that. Yeah, so that's kind of how we, we ended up getting married. And well, I think if it wasn't, so we got pregnant with our daughter, Avea, before we were married, right? She had made the decision, hey, we're not going to do this anymore until we get married. I'm like, yeah, great. That's fine. Well, then she had a moment of weakness. And, but she'll tell you that if it hadn't been for Avea, she probably wouldn't have gone through with getting married because she'd already been engaged once and decided, hey, I, I can't do this. So, and here we are goodness, almost 15 years later this year. And I couldn't imagine my life w without her. And I hope she would say the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Double check that. That's an awesome story. Just how little things and how God works through just the mm -hmm. little things like that and connects little dots. And yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it so many times, just seeing God's, God's hands at work, even when we don't know it. So it's just cool. And it is one of those where many people are worried about their past. Mm -hmm. The enemy likes to throw up in our face guilt and shame about yeah. things that have happened. Absolutely. God's more interested in our future than he is in our past. It's just something to encourage people with of constantly just saying, God wants your heart now and going forward. Your past is the past. Yeah. And there's reasons. And God sure has all his reasons why we go through the things we go through. but. At the end of the day, that doesn't disqualify us. Mm -hmm. Jesus' blood is stronger than that. That's right. Stronger than any past. And so we don't have to be ashamed of that. And a lot of folks will ask me, you know, thinking about that, oh, do you regret burning through all that money when you were a kid? And I'm like, no, like that happened. I don't regret it. That moment in my life for the first time ever, even though it was superficial, it gave me confidence that I had the same shoes as everybody. I had better shoes now. I've got the nicest car now. Coming up as a little kid who, outside of those four walls, felt like, oh, I wasn't good enough. In those four walls, I knew I was everything I was supposed to be. But at school, I was, you know, the devil's telling me, hey, you're not, you're not good enough with these kids. Look what they have and what you don't have. Well, now I had it. And now that same confidence that you were talking about, 
it doesn't come from money, oddly enough. It comes from him and his, his grace and his mercy. And I try to teach that to my kids and these kids is, and the youth is that, listen, man, just be what God made you to be. What is that? What are your gifts? Figure that out. And 20 years from now, all these people that you're, you're trying to impress, you might still be friends with three of them if you're lucky. Like it just doesn't make a difference. It, just be you and be confident in what you are. I decided, you know, hey, I, I went through this phase where I was, I'm going to be cowboyish, right? I'm going to get some cowboy boots and I'm going to wear the, the jeans and cowboy shirts. I'm like, man, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to dress like a dad. And I'm like, you know what, man, I've got a five-year-old. I'm young at heart. I love sneakers. When I was a kid, my aunt had a pair of Nike shoes. My aunt Janice, they were green and white, war hot colors. And she would buy things. She was spoiled rotten. So she would buy, we grew up like, she's three years older than me. So we were more like brother and sister. And even today we are than aunt and nephew. Well, she would, everything she would buy or have grandma get her, she bought it with me in mind that she could hand it down to me. So, man, she had these pair of Nike Airfly 89 high tops that she wore for basketball, and I just fell in love with them. And that's when my <laughs> love for that swoosh and the sneakers. So when I was able to have my own, buy my own sneakers, I, my foot didn't fit right in Nike shoes. So I walked funny for a year until my foot finally adjusted <laughs> to where I could wear Nike shoes. And now I finally got into a place physically where I can wear Nike clothes, and I just I don't know, man. I'm a sucker for marketing. If Shaq's selling something, I'm probably going to buy it. You know, I love Shaq, whether it's Icy Hot or... Shaqaroni pizza? Oh, man, yeah. I haven't had that one yet. <laughs> Tiffany won't let me get the Shaqaroni yet. But the Gold Bond, you know, whatever it is. Shaq Soda when he had it. I, got, I finally got my, my Shaq sneakers at home. Um, I'm a salesman, so I, I find something I want. I try to get Verizon to give me a lifetime contract because... Where am I going, right? I'm just loyal. I worked there for three years, and they won't do it. But, yeah, I, I find something I like, and I just kind of a creature of habit, you know, a routine. What else? So tell us how you started coming to Indianola first. Oh, that's fun. So we lived just a block away. We were still going to Norwalk, and I'm like, man, we got to find a church in our community. And the, the reason—so let's back up first. We had a Vea, right? And I'm like, man, we got married on a Saturday morning. Didn't have like a big reception or anything at the church there at CLA. Then that next morning, we had our daughter dedicated. And I'm like, we're going through marriage counseling. And uh, the, the gentleman that set me on fire, or that set my gifts ablaze, right, that God had put inside me, his name was Dobie Weasel, Native American pastor. He was our pastor for a year at CLA. And he showed up one day as a guest because Glenn had moved to North Carolina and they needed a pastor. And they had all these guest pastors. And it was like watching Jamie Foxx do comedy, but this guy was preaching the gospel. And I'm like, what? You can have fun while you're preaching and learning the gospel? And it just, it did. Like, man, it was, he's an evangelist. He's gifted, but he's anointed and he's just an amazing man. So we're doing pre-marriage counseling and he says to us, I'm like, well, my biggest concern is we're going to get married Saturday, turn around the next morning and have our daughter dedicated, right? And he's like, well, why would you feel bad about that? Isn't that the right thing to do? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, do you feel like your daughter's a mistake? Do you think God makes mistakes? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I don't think that at all. So he really kind of instilled that confidence that you, you made a mistake, but God is using this mistake as a blessing. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was God's plan all along, right? So you talk about his hand and things. He gives us free will, but sometimes I feel like he controls those choices to guide us where he 
wants us to go. I don't know. I don't think that's in the Bible, but I, something grandma would have said probably. So yeah, there we are. And we move here. We're like, man, Dobie left to go back to Omaha. He was a new pastor. He was a great guy, but we wanted to find a church in our community. And we'd gone to a couple. I'm like, well, let's go try this Christian, this Assembly of God church. And we walk in and Pastor Barry's banging on that white piano. The, oh man, the red carpet. I still miss the red <laughs> carpet, by the way. It was like the Grand Ole Opry, you know? And I'm like, this. And then Pastor Calloway came out and started just preaching fire. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. There were some different things that he had that Southern accent that I loved. And there were some things that came out eventually that we didn't agree with. So we started trying to find another church. And we went to different churches in town. The one thing we discovered that, that I would say is we are blessed as a community with a lot of good churches. But none of them just... Like we went to one that we really liked. Uh, my mom and my brother started coming. My brother was going through a divorce at the time and they would send us information or invite us to things, but they wouldn't invite my mom or brother. And I'm like, well, what, didn't you get invited to this? So they were like, since they were, my mom was coming by herself and he was by himself. They didn't like, we don't want that there. And I'm like, well, we got it. Tiffany went to a, it used to be called the women's worship conference. What was it? I forget. But she's up dancing, raising her hands, worshiping, and these ladies are just, she's like, I can't. You know, we got to find, I miss worship. So we came back because Barry had taken over, um, and we've been here ever since. And then I think it was probably three or four months. He's like, hey, uh, you ever thought about, you like people? I'm like, yeah, 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 I like people. You ever thought about greeting people? I'm like, no, you should, uh, this guy named Dave is going to call you. You should be a greeter. I'm like, all right, yeah, I think that'd be nice. Another three months go by, he's like, hey, you ever thought about being an usher? And I'm like, no, I never thought about that at all. Well, this guy's going to call you about being an usher. You should really, Dave Miller's his name. I think you'd be good at, all right, yeah, tell him to give me a call. And then a year goes by, it's like, hey, you ever work with youth kids? You ever think about it? I'm like, no, I don't think about that at all. <laughs> you, you know, you should really work with youth kids. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's give it a shot. And the thing I love about him is he just, he, as he gets to know you, he has a gift to see what your gifts are, right? And then give you kind of light them on fire. Like Dobie set me on fire for God, but Barry really helped me find those gifts and walk into them. Right. Like, and I think about you guys doing this, right? Like you're an IT guy. Yeah. So you being outgoing and having this conversation, that's not something I would have ever thought of, but I love it. I love listening to you and, and you, I know John is outgoing and like we goof off and have fun, but yeah, we're out, go back into going back to Avea and what, we knew we had to be in the church because once I had a little girl, I was like, oh, geez, my biggest fear is how do I protect this baby from this, this world we live in? And I have two cousins in Oklahoma, beautiful Southern Belle young ladies, never got in trouble with drugs or any of that stuff or doing bad choices or whatever. So I called my uncle who there's, you know, some men in my life that were, had a, uh, had a father, fatherly respect for. And I called Uncle Mark and I'm like, hey, man what do I do to give my daughter the chance to turn out like your girls, right? To stay away from that stuff. He's like, you got to raise her in the church, boo. You got to raise her in the church. Don't just take her. You got to raise her in the church. I'm like, all right, done. So every time the doors were open, we were here, we started serving. That's one of the things that just him saying that you got to raise her in the church is something that I just, I know it seems silly, but it, I had to do it because I wanted to give her that opportunity to be the best that she could be in, in, in her gifts and that kind of thing. So. There's such a good lesson there. So many people go into life and try to figure it out on their own, mm. especially parenting. <laughs> yeah. And most people are like, I want to do it different than my parents 
yeah. or I want to do it just like my parents, right? You could be in either camp. But how many times do we think, hey, there's good fruit on that tree. Why don't I go ask yeah, how man. they did that? And there are so many opportunities to do that. If you want something, go talk to people yeah. that have done it and been there. You don't have to do it exactly like them. But learn. Take the opportunity to learn, right? Make and I own. feel like parenting especially is nobody's got it figured out. All of us are trying to figure it out as we're going along. But talk to people that are a few steps ahead and say, yeah. hey, would you learn? Because then you can then learn on top of that instead of having to relearn the same lessons. It makes sense when you step back and look at it. It's like, why wouldn't I talk to? But yet, we don't necessarily do it. Yeah. Right? I learned a lot of lessons from my dad that were don't do that. Right? I love my dad. And we lost him a couple months ago, I think two or three months ago. And in that moment, I realized that as that little boy, I always wanted to have that type of relationship with my dad, you know, where we played ball and we went fishing and we had some of that, but not to the extent as, you know, I played sports all through high school. He didn't really come watch. He'd always ask when I got home, but he was always there, but he didn't always participate, right? Looking back, I realized that he's the one that changed our family tree because he didn't leave. His dad left. And he didn't have that influence. And there was a, a confidence and a security that came just from him being there that allowed us to take it a step further. The thing I love about this place is the multi-generational connection. Like whether it's like I can pour into kids that are younger than me in the youth, but I still need poured into as well. So guys like Gail, Gail Morris and Everett Kephart. And one of the guys I've gotten to know recently that I just he always seemed, and I hope he don't get mad at me for saying this, but he always seemed grumpy. But now I know he's not. His name's Steve Miller, just a fascinating man. He was in our life group this time and got to know him. And I'm like, man, this is another guy that just is full of wisdom. He's happy to share it with a young, younger person like me. And just having those guys that are willing to let you tag along. I always think of that, the, the old Looney Tunes cartoon where you had the big dog and the little dog bouncing around. <laughs> like, I feel like that sometime with these guys, but like, uh, Denny Phillips is another one. I just, I see, you know, who they are in God and what he's done in their lives. I'm like, man, well, hey, 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 how do I get, you know, hey, Spike, how did this happen? Like, tell me, I want to know. Like, I want to consume and learn that too, so. Yeah, that's such a good lesson and such good advice for everyone is, yeah. you know, look at that. And it goes both ways, right? It's looking at who can I learn from and then what are my opportunities to help? others. Yeah. And pass that on and, and the lessons that I've learned and been learned from others. That's really good. One of the things that, that drew us back here after we, we had started coming here for like a month and then we stopped, we were at Dairy Queen after like three or four months had gone by and we hadn't been coming here. We were going somewhere else. And we ran into Pastor Donnie at Dairy Queen. I'd met him like twice, but he remembered my name. Oh, hey, Brad. As we were walking into Dairy Queen and he was walking out and I'm like, huh. I knew who he was. I'm like, man, how did that guy remember my name? That's pretty cool. Because I don't know that I remembered his, right? He's like, hey, Brad. And I'm like, oh, man. So when Tiffany said, hey, we need to, to find somewhere. So I'm like, we got to go back to this place and check out this new pastor. Because it just stuck with me that he remembered my name. And I'd met him like once. And I don't know if it was something to come. But now that I've been in the youth for 10 years and I take pride in being his armor bearer, I just think that that was uh, almost a foretelling, you know, uh, of God saying, hey, get to know this guy going to have an impact on your life, right? So I, I try to be aware of those things. We did a leadership training at work or a leadership program. It was a year ago. It ended today or this year. But one of the things I learned was just slow down and be aware 
right? Notice the things around and just take it in. And then, because I was always just reacting and not responding or taking any time, just flying by the seat of my pants all the time because I loved it. You know, I don't need to study. I don't need to, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to wing everything. And then the older I got, I kind of slowed down and started to be more intentional on things and makes a huge difference. I can relate to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I was listening to another podcast not that long ago. And I listened to a lot of John Maxwell podcasts and and different things. And he was talking about a time when he was a a young pastor. He didn't prepare for a sermon and he just kind of wung it. And everybody thought it was great. And he's like, oh, I can get by with just winging it. Like, this is fine. Then he reflected on it and challenged himself as like, but if that's not my full effort. Right. How much better can I be if I take that natural ability and add effort to it? Yeah. And go even further. And it just was challenging to me of, How often do we rely just on our natural strengths to be good enough, knowing that our natural strengths are better than a lot of other people, but greatness lies in the ability to take those natural strengths and invest them and put effort into it and now be able to take it even further Yeah, and and go further. And that's something that's been really challenging me is to think of like, okay, quit winging it. Yeah, man. (laughs) Really, you know, put put the effort because I'm the type of person like if I don't have a strength in an area, I can outwork people. Yeah. I got no problem putting effort in. But where I do have natural abilities, I have a tendency to not put in as much effort because I know I don't have to. Yeah. It's like, no, why don't you put all that effort into the strength? Yep. And go add that much more value. Yeah. To people's lives. I read a book once called Strength Finders, and that's what it it does. It helps you identify your strengths. And it talks about if you're deliberate and spend more time focusing in the areas of your strengths versus always trying to improve your weaknesses, you're going to be far more successful at things. Like just stay out of those areas, you know? You've got to try to improve always. Yeah, you don't want blind spots. No. But at the same time, if you're on a scale of 1 to 10, and I think John Maxwell's talked about this too, is it's like on a scale of 1 to 10, if you're a 3, you put a bunch of effort into it, you might be able to get up to a 5. Right. But if you're already a 7, you could put a bunch of effort into it and be a 10. Yeah. And now you're having a significantly larger impact yep. in that strength. That's something... That I, I think a lot about, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's another thing putting it into practice, right? Yeah. So where are we, where are we at? I think we're at Avea and we moved here. I met Donnie. He remembered my name. And one of the things that I think that that is important as well, I think Tiffany shared in her story was Tyler, right? Our first son. Yep. Um, he and I were very close. I remember when he first came to youth, he was awkward, man. And I loved it. Like we called him bus kids. We had kids that would come on the bus that the bus would go around. We had a bus ministry and pick them up because I was a bus kid. I didn't go to church on Sunday mornings, but we'd go to youth group at the little Christian Union Church in Milo and eat a free dinner and just harass that poor youth pastor, Craig. I loved those kids that were ornery and they were, they'd get in trouble. I just had a heart for them. And Tyler was, he didn't get in trouble, but he was one of those kids. He was awkward and, and uncomfortable to talk to. And I remember the first time I shook his hand, he didn't know how to shake hands. So at this time, we were doing what we called King's Culture, where from 6.30 to 7, I would just entertain everybody doing whatever, playing music or games. And so we started a segment that we called Awkward Handshakes with Tyler. Probably not the best <laughs> thing at the time now. Nice. Yeah. But you would shake his hand, and he didn't know what to do with his other hand. So I would slap his hand. Say, no, no, no. Keep that hand down. And so that's what it was. But from there, me and Brandon Boyd um, had become really good friends. We would spend a lot of time with Tyler and his boys playing basketball or doing different things. And we'd just take Tyler with us. 
And then Tiffany had, was doing in-home daycare, and Anna was helping her on, I think, summers and maybe breaks or something. And she had shared with Tiffany that Tyler was probably going to have to move away to go live with his grandma in Cedar Rapids or just go out on his own. At, you know, he was 16, almost to be 17, and like that kind of thing. And Tiffany had always wanted another child, and I had, I was like, man, I'm doing math in my head. Like, well, now this one's five. If we have one now, by the time it's, you know, I'm going to be this old. We've got, man, she's going to be out of the house when we're 50. We have all this time to ourselves. So I was, I had come to a contentment with it or a peace with it that Vea was going to be our only child, right? Because the doctor said we weren't going to have any more. It wasn't possible. So something happened and it's the name. Like the more my brother and I focused on our, we got closer to God and we, we started to change that family tree and see real growth in our branches. I realized that the name's going to be gone. Like, I don't want to do all this work to just have the name disappear, the money name, right? Because I want that tree to have that name so people can see the legacy and they can see, you know, it's probably selfish, but I remember dropping to my knees probably two weeks before I found out about Tyler, just praying, give me a son, man. And like, I was in tears. I didn't tell Tiffany because she had finally gotten to a good place with it that we weren't going to have anymore. But now I was the one that wanted another child. And she was content. I was working at Dice, where I work now. It's where I met Joel. She had texted me and she had called me and said, hey, this is what's going on with Tyler. So I texted her and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And she responded, yes, he can. Like she knew I was going to ask, can he live with us? I didn't know what that meant. It was the first time I felt like I was actually, God called me to do something like major and I actually did it. And then, it, it, you know, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm going to, there's another family that came forward that were friends of ours that he could come live with them. And I thought, oh, surely he's going to pick them. You know, they've got this beautiful daughter who's the same age as him. Um, they've got this big giant house. Obviously they've got more resources for him. The no brainer. I'd go live there. Right. I love this guy. He's a great guy. I wish he was my dad, you know? So he didn't, he picked our house and we didn't even have a bedroom for him. So Barry and the church helped us build a base, a bedroom in our basement. That was Tyler's room. That's when it's like, oh man, this is real. Like we're going to have a, 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 you know, a teenage boy now. So we did, and it was amazing. And, you know, I, I think, I know Tiffany said, I mean, it was the, I think it was a week later. She says it's the next day, but I woke up and she was screaming my name, Brad, Brad. And I'm like, what's going on? Where are you? If I take my glasses off, I can't see much of anything. So I'm running around the house looking for her and I go around the corner and there's like a TV tray, a wooden TV tray with like a ch little chalkboard on it and what looks like a thermometer. And the chalkboard says, I'm like, oh, are you sick? What's going on? But she's like, no, read the sign. So I picked it up and it said, we've been trying for 1,479 days, 72 days, something like that. And I'm like, what? It was a pregnancy test and she was pregnant, like right after he had moved out. And I remember calling my mom the Saturday Tyler moved out. The basement was empty. And I'm like, man, mom, did you, I sat on the bottom of the stairs and I just cried. My boy was gone. You know, I'm like, did you cry when I moved out? She's like, oh yeah. And here we are now we're, all right, we can't tell anybody because Vea was premature five weeks and the pregnancy was really difficult and challenging. So we can't tell anybody until we get to the doctor and we get, well, I mean, it wasn't, we got done with church and I think everybody knew I couldn't keep it. You know, everybody had been praying for us. And so it wasn't, I'm like, why am I going to, I got to tell people, I got to, it's just, hard not to proclaim the greatness of God. You just felt so humbled, like, man, why? 
thank you. Like, what did I, I don't deserve this. I don't, you know, I didn't. And it just, yeah, it was just humbling. And then Theo was born and now he's five. And the thing I like, it seems like I've been doing this forever, like as a youth leader and different things. But one of the things about this place to me, that's weird out there, everything goes so fast. Like I've been at my job for 13 years. Um, I'm 45 years old and I've lost all these people, but in here, it seems like it goes so slow. Like, oh man, I've been a youth leader. It must be 25 years, but it's only been 10. And I'm like, well, I've really only been here for 11 years. Like, why doesn't that go as fast as it doesn't feel as fast as everything else? And I just, yeah, this is a, it's a special place. The people are great. And that's one of the things I love it. So Tyler and then Theo. Yeah, that's my kids. Such an awesome story and how God's just rewards our obedience to just put it all at his feet. Yeah. And and pursue him too, right? He wants to bless us. He does. I, I agree with that he wants to bless us. I wouldn't call it my obedience by any means. And that's the part that's humbling to me. You know, one of the things that's important to me, and I tell my kids this, is I want you to see me fail because it's authentic. Like I'm genuine. I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be. In our house, we say, hey, we can't promise perfection, but we can promise progress. And that's one of the things we strive for. But I think it's important for people to see you fail and, and because it just, you know, you are real. I'd love to say I, I, was, I did all the right things. I'm like, but one of the things I always think of is, is David when it, it says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? And I'm always going to, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'll never stop chasing. That's right. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do better and try to improve. And, and yeah, so. Yeah. I, I, I love that about David too, is he made mistakes, but he always ran towards God. Mm-hmm. He didn't run from God. Everything revolved around his relationship. Even when he made those mistakes, it was, yeah. how did that impact my relationship with God? That was his focus and his drive. And even when he was doing things, he didn't understand as soon as he, as soon as you know, he was called out on it, he was repentance, right? I'm right. He's, he's seeking forgiveness because he knows he screwed up. And that's just that heart after God. And, you know, and I look at it as you just stepping out and, you know, whether it's faith, obedience, whatever, with Tyler and being willing to just trust God that he's going to pull it all together. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the blessing. And I'm, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily specifically related. There's definitely some ties there, you know, stepping out, trusting, and then God blessing you with Theo after that. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool. I like to think too that, uh, Jesus got tired of Tiffany's mom asking him all the time. She passed away a few, like a years back and was always praying for us. So I think Jesus like, all right, listen, Maya, well, I'll give him a baby. Fine. You leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works, but I've got an imagination. So I try to create those things. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me a, a guy that checks the some college box. Yeah. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a salesman. I sell software. Okay. That's what I like to tell people. It's called SaaS. Is that correct, Joel? Software as a service. Software yeah. as a service. That's what SaaS means. Yep. I didn't know you that. Extra sassy. <laughs> yeah. So I've been at, at Dice for 13 years. I worked at Quest for five and got laid off there. I mean, it was union and I'd taken a management role, but my grandpa says we had too many chiefs and not enough Indians. So I was the youngest in seniority. I got a severance package and then I sold phones at Verizon which is probably one of my favorite jobs for three years, but you can't, it's hard to have a family working retail hours and build that. So one of the people my wife knew had a friend who was a recruiter 
and said, hey, I'm trying to fill this sales role, this place called Dice. Do you know anybody? He's like, yeah, I got this kid that our old nanny is dating. So that's how I got the job at Dice. And I, in 2008, I worked there for 11 months. And that's right when the economy went kaput. So they laid us off in November of 2008. And then I went and sold, like, and that was right when we were having a VEA. So I get laid off in Tiffany's due in February or March, you know. So I had to find a job. And I, again, my best, one of my best friend's brother had a, a higher up role at Nationwide Insurance. So I'm giving a lot of free shout outs here, aren't I? He got me a job at Nationwide. And then my best friend's cousin was a manager in sales. So he got me moved to sales in like six months instead of having to wait. And I worked there for two years. And then Dice started hiring back. And I went back there and took a, like a bigger role. And then I just kind of worked my way up from there. So yeah, that's where I met Joel. He was an IT guy, and it used to drive me crazy because him and all his IT guy friends would sit in the break room on lunch, and they would have what appeared to be the greatest conversations ever, laughing and carrying on, and they wouldn't even talk, like, not Joel himself, but a lot of the other guys were like, hey, guys, and they'd just keep walking. So I started just saying to some of them, they'd say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking, right? And they wouldn't say anything. And then finally, one of the guys he was kind of terrifying. He wore shorts all year round in the winter <laughs> and that's all he did. And then he just started talking to me one day. He's like, Hey, I like your truck. Oh, what are you talking to me? And I was all excited. I'm like, yeah, man, I like your, your blue truck. I like it, man. You got that motorcycle. And I just knew everything about, he's like, I think he was kind of creeped out. I was like, how does this guy know so much about me? But I'm just observant, you know? So, and then I got, I was in with the IT guys. Then I got to know Joel a little bit. And then first time I saw Joel here, I'm like, man, why does that guy look, does he work at Dice? And he didn't work at Dice anymore, but he had, he had gone to do something else. And finally, one day, I, was, I asked him, like, hey, did you work at Dice? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, great. And then just kind of got to know him from there. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah, we, did, we tried to avoid the salespeople. <laughs> They're always trying to ask us to build something they already sold. Oh, yeah. They got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I sold this thing. Can you build it for me? No. But anyway, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun there. A lot of good memories at Dice. So what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out? in your career? Oh man. So I'm Mark Getters. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this. He's my current manager right now. I'm a, a natural leader, I, I think, but I, I, he taught me, got me, I used to always make fun of him, call him a nerd. He's always learning something new, right? And I'm like, man, you're such a nerd, right? Reading books and, and going to seminars and different things. But he got me started down this path of learning and not just learning, but being the best version of yourself, mm, right? Mm -hmm. Being better every day. And how can I, looking at things like this is my current, this is how I do things currently. Can I do it more efficiently? Is there a different process I can put in place? And just slowly he got that idea in my head and I just started challenging myself. We had a new leadership. Um, it's always people with me. So we had new leadership takeover and I met with our new VP. His name's John. And he, uh, man, we finished our call. He's like, man, your story's so inspiring. I'm like, what? And it reminded me of the first time when I was in junior high, I loved to write. We had a, an English teacher that we had vocabulary words and we had to write out sentences with each word. Well, I would write all my sentences in a story about the beautiful blue-eyed orangutan. But I did that because I thought, is this going to really get under her skin and it's going to drive her crazy? But she loved it. Like, and she encouraged my creativity. And like for the first time I had like a teacher, someone say, Hey, wow, I love your creativity. So it was kind of the same thing with John. And then working with, like, he just inspired that, Hey, 
you got to find a way to use your story and share it. Be that. It helped me just start thinking about learning and being better and how can I take what I do, like you said, and impact other people, right? So I, I would say that's the one thing, man. Be a sponge. Like we talked about it earlier, you don't have to, like, I can't be Joel and I can't be John and you can't be Brad, but I can take pieces from each of you and use those things that I took, make them my own to help improve who Brad is, right? Whether it's being more, having more empathy for people or, or, you know, being more outgoing or just maybe it's just shutting up a little bit, Brad, you know, being quiet sometimes. So those are, there's things that you guys are good at that I'm not, that I'm never going to be as good as you, but I can take pieces of it to help improve what I am, right? What God made me. And I think that's the biggest advice I would say in sales is, man, it's just, for me, it's all about being one of the guys that I, I learned from. His name was Heath. It's being folksy. Like I learned more sitting on the other side of the wall from him and little cubicle, just being normal, man, talking to people and just be genuine, be authentic. And, and people will, people will buy from people they like. So sell yourself and find ways to continue to improve your process and be more efficient and, and just learn new things. I think that's the, the most important thing. Long answer long on that one, I guess. Oh, that's good. I love it. There was a quote. I was listening to something. They were like, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, we overcomplicate it, man. But I, I think on that note, one thing that's key, especially even within the church, but I look at all aspects of life. You say, hey, you know, somebody's better at me. Um, we tend to make it a competition and be like, yeah. oh, I got to be as good as them. And it's like, God didn't create us that way. He created right. us to work together. Yeah. Together, we can be better than either one of us alone because you got strengths that I don't have and I have strengths that you don't have. And so together, we can leverage those strengths in a way right. that can be better than either one of us could be. And that's what the power of unity and teams is so important. Yeah. I mean, I could make you a list of all the things that John has done for me versus all the things I've done for him. But then he's going to start to think, oh, man, I can't help Brad anymore. He doesn't do anything in return, you know? <laughs> John's got that servant heart. He does. He does. Yeah. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite verse or passage? It's funny because we, we just talked about it. It's Romans twelve two. Do not conform to the ways of this world. Be changed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will come to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So that is, is the thing that when we started what was King's Culture, that was my first big God idea that Donnie let me, let me go with and run with was that was it. Like, just be you right? And, and be different and be, figure out what God made you to be and let him see it. Renew that mind and don't conform to the way of this world. I think at that time, the big thing was, oh, be an alien. You know, I'm not of this world. I'm, I live in, you know, I'm a citizen of heaven. And that was the big, big thing at that point. But that is something that just, I love that, that kind of idea. So that was my verse. I love that verse too. And at a different church I was at a long time ago, we were part of the youth and I wanted to call it transformed Ooh. or transformers or something like yeah. that based on that verse have like the Autobots logo as our, Ooh. our youth logo. <laughs> that was my, that was my grand idea. <laughs> so what's one thing you've wanted to do, but haven't done yet. Let's see. One thing I want to do, but haven't done yet, man. I, something about Australia. I want to go there, but I don't like airplanes and that seems like a long ways away. Have you seen how big their spiders are there? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't like spiders. It's a long trip in a rowboat. It is a long trip in a rowboat. You don't like airplanes. <laughs> yeah, long trip. <laughs> yeah I, I love, so through work, 
um, I went to the Caribbean for the first time and it is uh, like if Tiffany hadn't started this daycare, I'd try to convince her to move there. Like I love the islands. I love the sun. Something about Australia has always captivated me. Um, I'd love to go there. And, and it, I can tell you, let me paint you the picture. It, it's February here, right? And it's way too late. I shouldn't be up this late, but I am. And I turn on the TV and they're playing the Australian Open tennis in Melbourne. And it is summer there. So we've just come out of a month of nothing but dirt and snow and mud and muck, no sunshine. And I love the sun. And the sun's just beating down on these people on the TV. And I'm like, oh. So if I do go to Australia, it's definitely going to be February. And yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. To, I got to follow that sunshine and the heat. I love the heat. I love summer. Um, that's my jam. So go to, going to Australia would be something I haven't done that I'd love to. Tell us about your testimony. It's weird, man. My grandma was very, was very spiritual. Like, you know, when my grandpa passed, we'd always see butterflies. It's like, oh, that's your grandpa. I'm like, mm, I don't know if it is, grandma. But, you know, spiritual things like that. I always, it's weird because I always had, I feel like, a relationship with God. And, and that started when Jimmy Parker was my dad's uncle. He shows up. I didn't necessarily know who God was, whatever. We didn't go to church growing up. But he had some pastor with him and they had pamphlets. Jimmy was this old kind of redneck guy and he was always like, hey, you want some gum, Brad? He'd always give you gum, right? He was my, my great grandma's brother. So he came with this guy and he gave us the pamphlets and we read them and we got saved right there in our living room, right? I was probably nine, 10 years old. And I just, from that point on, man, who is this God? I had a Bible. I didn't read it, but I would pray and I had a relationship. And just from that point on, I just always wanted more. And I started going to the youth group there. I would go to church on Sunday sometimes with my best friend, Dustin, and his mom and dad, another family that was just a huge impact on my life, um, John Miller and, and Kathy. And, and Dustin is my best friend of 40 years. I won't tell the story how we met. I'll, I'll save him that one on this one. Oh, that was my next question. Oh, it was? Oh, but yeah. So Jimmy came, he brought some gum, he had a pamphlet. And we, we said the prayer right there in the living room. And it was like that from that point on, I was just like questions. And then the older I got, my grandma talking about spiritual sheep. Remember, there's a psychic lady. Her name was Sylvia Brown. And she wrote all these like spiritual books about your, uh, this person. It was basically the Holy Spirit, but she called it something else and how they were your, they'd watch over you and, and that kind of thing. And you could talk to them and you could manifest it. And I'm like, man, this is weird, you know? But I, I read those books because grandma said, hey, this is, that kind of thing. But so I always had a relationship with God and prayer and stuff. Yeah, that is how it started. And then I think he used Tiffany to slow me down at a time when I needed it and get me closer to him, you know? Yeah, God has a way of reeling you back in. Yeah. I realize as I sit here, every question you ask me, it, the answer is tied to someone, somebody else, you know? And, and I, I think a lot about legacy and different things and it's people. Like it, it's, you know, I, I try to take something from everybody that is willing to pour into me. So Jimmy Parker, he's the guy that brought the pamphlet, you know, and, and Dustin and his dad were the ones that took me to church with them. And that's how I, I kind of tie all these things to there's somebody that God uses to kind of walk us through it, you know, if that makes sense. People are the most important thing to invest in because it's the mm -hmm. only eternal investment. Everything else goes away. And yeah. we think about all the things we invest our, our time, our resources, our efforts into. People is the one that's eternal. 
right and has you know lasting impact and i always encourage people to be very intentional about investing in people because of that and you hear you all through your story of this person invested me here or did this here and yeah. did that and we all have the opportunity to have that impact on other people for intentional about investing right. in people and just being others focused and i think that's uh, the example that Jesus set for us. Yeah. And then on the other side is being open to people investing in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to learn from what they have to say to you. Absolutely, man. I remember, and it's weird, like how people are built and how God makes people. Because I remember the first time I met John, I met you. Who the heck's this guy? And then we started talking like, oh, man, this guy's, we're the same. This guy's great. <laughs> like we've been, like we've known each other our whole lives. And I didn't know who you were at all. And like, I'd, man, I'd been missing out because I didn't know this guy. And now he's here. And just the way we talked to each other, the way we interacted, like, it's crazy that from day one, I felt like, you know, oh, that's the kind of thing I love when he does that, when he brings people into your life and you're just like, oh, my life's so much better now because this guy's in it. And I didn't know this guy before. Like, I saw you every day probably. And I didn't know that much about you. And now every time I see you guys, it's just, it, it's, it brings you joy, you know, and what you're doing now. I think it's great. I want to be part of it. That's why I'm excited to be here. So, yeah, glad you're here. Yeah. Got any other stories you want to share before we wrap up? Oh, man. Pastor Jared, I don't know if I have a story, but we've talked about Barry and Donnie. I feel like we're blessed, man. We are blessed to have this staff, Amelia, Joe, Cole, who's on the worship team now, um, Barry's kids. Like, it's cool to see. It's, I don't think, I don't know. I've never been anywhere else. So I've been other places, I guess, but I've never seen it like this, like just the community and the family, but the staff that we've built here, it's special. And I'm just blessed and and glad to be, be a part of it. And I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made in the last 11 years where I've called one of them. And one time a softball, I was a little ornery and my mouth will get me in trouble sometimes as John knows. So I said some things I probably shouldn't said to a kid. And then I realized I shouldn't have said it. And so I feel bad. And I, I called Donnie. I'm like, man, I messed up. He's like, what happened? Are you in jail? Do you need me to come get you? I'm like, well, no. What? <laughs> jail? <laughs> That's his first. What? Are you in jail? <laughs> no. Um, but, and then just other things. They just authentic, genuine people that no matter what you do, they, they have the same grace and mercy that he has for you, you know? And it, it's just, they're just genuine. And they let you... I imagine, I heard it said as a pastor, you live in a glass house. I don't think these guys' house even have walls. They just let you in. You know what I mean? And they just live life with you. And I've been to churches where the pastor just then stands at the front door and greets you as you leave. And that's how you know about them. You don't interact with them any other, any other time. So as I built these friendships with these guys, and I would call all of them friends, it felt so weird because I'm like, all right, where's the line, okay, between friend and pastor or is there a line anymore? Can I cross it? So, um, yeah, I just feel, I feel blessed to be here and, and just to know and be a part of it. It's great. I would say one of the things that Dobie always said that I love, and this will be what I leave you with. Um, he, one day he was talking about there's buzzards and there's somebody, any buzzards in here? You all look like a bunch of buzzards, you know? And he put his shoulders up and his head down like a buzzard does. And he's like, don't be a buzzard, be a hummingbird. Right. He's like, what do buzzards look for? It's like, oh, dead things, right. What do buzzards find? Dead things. And what do hummingbirds look for? Nectar and sweet things. And what do hummingbirds fly, find? Sweet things. Like, so be a hummingbird. 
don't be a buzzer. And he was like flapping around <laughs> being, a, being a hummingbird, but you're going to find what you're looking for, you know? So look for good things and slow down, open your eyes and just be aware and you'll, you'll see them. Well, Brad, we appreciate your time. Definitely. Yeah. Great to have you and hear your story and get to know you a little bit more. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.